The reason I chose Psalm 100 is this was a favorite hymn of the early church. This would have been a psalm like all the psalms Jesus may have read, may have taught from, because that was the Bible of Jesus. Remember, he and the disciples and the apostles are making the New Testament while he's on the earth. So I'm taking us back in time to Psalm 100, which was written somewhere between 500, 1000 BC. The Psalms were compiled. This was the songbook that the early church used, that, that the temple used, that worship in the synagogues. And it's interesting, I'm going to read it now, you will find that a lot of the words and phrases and verses are very well known to you. I don't know how many songs there are that are written right now that have parts of this in, but it's also part of a doxology that was written probably by David. You can do your commentary work and so forth. It's listed by a lot of them as anonymous. But if you go back to like Psalm 90, Psalm 91, all the way through, this was probably one big song, one big psalm. And 100 is like the doxology of Jesus and God reigning over his universe. And quite frankly, things we're going to talk about today in Psalm 100 are yet to be fulfilled. And that is a great Great blessing. But it shows God's sovereignty. It shows his love. And before we go further, I, I'm just going to pose a question to you. A lot of you walked in here today from all over the place. <laughs> some of you with young kids. Some of us that are, you know, empty nesters. Some of you more advanced. But every one of you, your minds were spinning. It was worrying. There was something going on. Because guess who talks inside your head most of the day? Who is it? Who is it? It's you. Well, I want you to think, and when we get to the end of today's message, we're going to talk about it a little bit. One or two things up front. What's the biggest thing, the biggest challenge, the biggest hurt? kind of on the negative side, as you walk through there today or in your way today, or even as I'm talking right now, as we prepare to open Psalm 100, were you thinking about? What's causing you to stress? Secondly, I would like you to think, what is it that you found your greatest joy, contentment, comfort, some peace, some healing, just one. You can add as many as you want. I'm just asking for one in the past week. And we'll try to explore a little bit using the psalm why that is or what we can do about it. So I'm going to open it now, Psalm 100. I'm going to read from the NASB as we begin to show the slides you will see some 
uh, that I do reference the NIV, but most of it will be in the English Standard Version. And it starts with an interesting word. <laughs> Make a joyful noise in the ESV. Guess what it says in most other... It says, shout. I'm not going to shout. I did that at a business meeting recently, and I surprised myself, and it didn't go well. Because people couldn't hear me. But you, everybody can hear me yet, right? We got a thumbs up. Okay, just sound check, sound check. Thanks. I've got my technical crew up there checking too. So... Shout literally means make a joyful noise. That's what we were doing this morning, right? We were making a joyful noise unto the Lord. We were praising him. We were worshiping him. That's what the whole idea of todah is. It encompassing praise, worship, confession. This is what people would sing as they were walking into the temple or they might open up a, a service. So even though we're talking now, the Psalms were written as songs, poems, to be sung. I would have my wife come up here and sing. She has a beautiful voice. As you noticed, I did not have the microphone on when we were singing. I get along, and I can see some people who have sat in front of me before <laughs> and heard me try harmonize. I try. I do make that joyful noise that people often cliche and talk about. But here we go. So shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And then he kind of transitions. So it's a call to praise, now kind of a call to thanksgiving that would have been an antiphonal sound with the, with the musicians and the singers and the priests. You can kind of get the vision of this procession to the temple. And guess what? This is still future too. This still awaits us. This is today. We are part of that antiphonal sound. As we praise, worship, sing aloud with the Lord. Now, what else? We enter his gates with what? Thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Todah. Thanksgiving, praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is, this is one of my favorites, the Lord is good. The Lord's good. I don't know what you came in here with today. I don't know what your experience is. I've been a Christian for over 40 years. I can testify before a fellowship. God is good. I can see in some of the faces of saints who have walked with the Lord for some time and those who are new. God is good. Sometimes we lose sight of that because of our circumstances. That can easily happen. For the Lord is good. His loving kindness is for Wednesday. No, it's everlasting. And his faithfulness to all generations. So now I'm going to open up kind of verse by verse and see if we can unpack this just a little bit. So if you give me a second, a little dry mouth. 
Verses 1 and 2 kind of roll together. Shout, make that joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. I don't know, is that how you feel today? I can tell you this. The songs we sang and everything else talks about an adoration, a worship, a very deep, intimate sense of being with the Lord. If that's not your situation today, it can be, it might be, and it should be. And we're going to talk about that. By the way, nothing brings us into the presence of the Lord more than praise and thanksgiving. Scriptures tell us he inhabits our praise. As we were singing today, and Andrew, thank you. That, those are wonderful. Even though it makes me tear when we do shout for the Lord, I kind of set myself up for that one. But I, I just get a vision of God, high and lifted up, sovereign above all things, not like the temporary images, not like the craven images that the scriptures throughout the Old Testament talked about the idols that were local. This is a God above all gods. This isn't just some impersonal spirit. And that's why we shout to him. That's our response to this God. He inhabits our praise. We should give it to him. Okay? He teaches us how we're to come into his presence. Come before him with joyful singing. I love it. Make that joyful noise. Make it low if you want. Raise your hands if you want. I don't know that if a bunch of y'all started standing up and shouting and dancing in the aisle right now, um, that's probably not going to happen, but I'm not going to say stop. If your motives are moved by an adoration for the Lord, but as a matter of fact, maybe we should talk about that. How we come into his presence, this great God, the God above all gods, the coming king of kings who will rule over all the earth, yet coming. That's what this whole song was. The king of Judah, David's son, genealogically fulfilled all the prophecies. So we shout with joy. We make the sound, the tambourines, the lyre, the flute, all the things that would call the people to worship. And guess what? The reference I made to the fact that if you all started jumping up and down right now, might cause a little bit of, I don't know, people might look. I'd look. I can see y'all right now. That's kind of cool. I don't get that perspective. So, Will, Nathan, thank you very much for allowing me to stand up here. This is kind of neat. Oh, no, and I, and I want to add to that. Uh, I am so thankful to have two pastors that are willing to share their pulpit with some of us laymen. We're searching to find the gifts and talents in this church. God's going to winnow us out. He's going to bring people forward. If God's calling you to teach, if he's calling you to serve, if he's calling you to, 
to exercise gifts that you may have allowed to drift away maybe, at least try it. I love this fellowship because you, you're, you're all very accommodating. You're all very compassionate and kind. Or you're hiding it really well. So I have the confidence then to stand up because I can stand on the word of God. Amen. And that's all I want you to hear today. I will try muddle my way through. I prepared. Better have more water. My mouth's going dry again. Sorry about that. I, I almost cried, really. That's what it was. So. <laughs> so, when we read that whole five, five verses, that's why you're not seeing a big agenda up there, a big outline with four or five major points. The verses are kind of the, the major points. Within those verses are seven imperatives. And let me read those to you. Seven commands for us to act on giving thanks, not to wait, really, because we are the receivers of this mercy. So, verse one, shout, make a joyful noise. Verse two, serve, serve the Lord. You can see the, ver the words kind of come out. Know or come, come into his presence. These are imperatives. Know the Lord, verse three, that's a big one. Then he kind of references, we are the sheep of his pasture. He made us. And then he transitions with another imperative. Enter. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. Give thanks. Bless his name. Seven imperatives. And then at the end, we respond to that with our worship and our praise and let the Lord work in our lives. It's a cause for thanksgiving and worship. We talked about that in verse 2 of the imperatives. We should rejoice because of the character of God as we get to the end. And now we're going to continue on through the verses a little bit. How are we to come into God's presence? The power of gathering, praising, and agreement in prayer. Okay, let's go on. And I'm transitioning here. <laughs> All right. So, verse 1, where does the call go out? Where does all this singing go? Where's the praise? Where's the worship? It's going to go out to all people, according to verse 1, right? Not just to the people of Israel. Not just to the chosen ones of Israel. Remember, we're talking about a psalm written hundreds, thousands of years, in a sense, if we, if we take it back to God's creation before Jesus comes as that Redeemer who is going to bring together not just the chosen people of Israel, but he's going to bring together who? So this worship, this praise, it's going out to all the world. And Jesus confronted his audiences very, very, very often with the fact 
that as we come into his presence with the singing, with the praising, know that this is at the time they were adoring him, worshiping him, praising him. It's also future. There's a time coming when all the nations will bow down, when all the world will shout for joy for the Lord and the Redeemer who chose people long, long, long before we came around. He chose some of you before creation. Did you know that? According to Scripture. If you're here and you know the Lord Jesus Christ, guess what? He knew you. He knew about Afghanistan this week. He knew about the hurricane. He knew every hair on the head of every person in the world and still does and still cares and has the answers to all the world. Now, all the world may not accept this message. So we make that joyful noise. We also come in with gladness. Some of you may be struggling with that. I don't know. I feel glad today. I feel good. So, verse 2, one of the imperatives. It says serve too, right? Come into his presence with singing. Serve the Lord with gladness. Those are imperatives. What do we think serve means? Hmm. Service can be drudgery sometimes. Service can be hard. Service can be, I don't know, fill in the blank. Yet the psalmist is trying to encourage our hearts to say, there is a point if you're struggling with serving the Lord with gladness. He can talk to us. He can change that. Getting back to that first question, what did you walk in here with? What are you thinking now? He knows. God is so sovereign. He is so all-knowing. According to his word, which is revealed more than any other manuscripts in the world, by the way, how do we even know there was a Roman Empire? We read about it. There's some archaeology. That's how we know there was one. We didn't live there, right? Guess what? There, there are tens of thousands more of portions of Scripture, sections of Scripture, scrolls of Scripture, thousands of years before the latest things that we take for granted as truth, and they're consistent. God has held his message throughout time and eternity. So if you have a hard time dealing with the inerrancy of Scripture or dealing with God's Word, at least historically understand you have a much better firsthand maintained witness over time through manuscripts that make up now the Holy Bible. I mean, Will and Pastor Nathan could probably do, do what, a year on inerrancy, and that might get long. I mean, I'm really happy we're doing the Psalms. So, if we're not entering in, why not? We've been redeemed by grace, those of us who believe in him, and obedience is an expression of worship. So, let us come into his courts. To know, I love this.
I love this. Verse 3, if you're looking at verse 3, my outline may not follow quite with it, but the Bible's there, so we got it. There we go, you know. In verse 3, no, this isn't just knowing about God. This isn't just reading a book. This isn't buying some series that somebody said they found hidden until this time manuscripts that somehow reveal the true nature of you fill in the blank, Jesus, the disciples, uh, some guy who held the donkey that you know he wrote in. His word, his word. But it's more about knowing him. It's an action. It's not just knowledge. It's not mere mental assent. It's knowing the God of the universe. Know him. Know him. He is God. Adonai, Yahweh, Jehovah, provider, sustainer, comforter, healer, coming king. The procession, remember? We will be singing. People will be adoring him. He's coming. He's coming again. But he is God. Truly God. It's not intellectual assent. It's knowing him intimately. Do you know him intimately? I hope so. If not, he can be known. As a matter of fact, for those of you who know my testimony and my wife's, we were changed from a lifestyle quite different than we are now. If we were in the Greek times, we would have probably been called Epicureans, not Stoics. Stoics are, you know, just deal with it, move on. Life's a random chance, so we were the Epicureans. Okay, if it's random chance, and those of you who have been studying Job and Ecclesiastes recently, which is really as good a books in the Bible of talking about the human condition and the questions we all have, some of which you're probably even now going through in your minds, some variation of that. We were Epicureans. Well, if it's all by chance and this God is impersonal, then live, you know, eat, drink, be merry. Now the Epicureans, or Epicureans, all depends if you're watching British murder mysteries or English. I don't know why the British can't speak English, but we're that. We were that. <laughs> and God changed us. How did I change? Why did I change? I wasn't even seeking him that I knew of, but he was seeking me. I wanted to know truth. He wanted me to know him who is all truth. And a pastor in a church much like this shared that truth, a whole bunch of other stuff in between. I was indifferent. I didn't even know if there was a need for a God or a Savior especially. Hey, life is what it is. Was witnessed to by a friend who'd become one of the Jesus people. I was so tired of hearing about Jesus. I really didn't want to hear about him anymore. <laughs> but he wouldn't let me go. He was truth. He was love. He cared about me. 
when I raised my fist in the air and said, God, if you're real, if you're real, you better show me. Well, that was a humble way to approach God, wasn't it? That wasn't exactly adoration, singing, joy. <laughs> Matter of fact, it was outside a bar in West Palm Beach, Florida, in an alley. God changed my prayer in the next month. I had prayed it. And he says, where two or more are gathered in my name, there am I. But you know how he changed it to the day I got saved in a worship service? It was actually a communion service. So God can use any sermon, any part of his word to bring us to saving faith. It kind of changed from you show me to the heart I had within me, deep within me, that only his Holy Spirit knew, who is God, by the way, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I was really saying, come find me, like the good shepherd that we then read about in verse four. He knows his own, chosen before the beginning of time. So he took that fist in the air, it's all I knew. Because I was ready mentally. If you don't show me something, I don't have to really ever think about this again. I can move on, not worry about people asking me to church, going to Bible studies, doing all the stuff people were doing. I can just compartmentalize that, put it away. I don't need it. You're not real. He would not let me get there because he chose me. He was my shepherd. Remember, what did the shepherd do with the 99 and 1? What did he do? He did not go to sleep until what? He had found the one. And all through scripture, we find that shepherd that we talk about in verse 4. Let's read it. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name because at the end of verse three we had read, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. His people know him. He can be known. He chooses to be known. He is a God of dynamism. He created the whole earth. I should come to him. But he, 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 he cares for me, he cares for you, anyone who will come to him, wherever you are in life. He wants to be your shepherd, the image of a shepherd. Coming king, creator of the universe, all things, he wants to be your shepherd. And the imagery in verse four, it continues on kind of with where we were with the procession going into the temple. Come into his courts, that's temple imagery and his gates you'd come in if you ever seen a picture of the temple you'd come through the gates and there were multiple courts courts of the gentiles courts of the women some of you weren't if you lived then allowed to worship in the actual temple you weren't jewish you weren't a proselyte well guess where jesus did most of his teaching and preaching in the courts but also in the temple, in the synagogues. 
So here we have the imagery of that. Now, verse 5. We've had the shout. We've had the serve. We've had the come before him. We have the know. Know him not just by head knowledge. And he made us, not we ourselves. He made us. We are not just globs and blobs made from nothing. Nothing plus nothing equals everything kind of a mentality. We may laugh at that analogy, but that's what's taught in a lot of places. Nothing plus nothing equals everything. Okay. I'll go the odds with the guy who revealed himself and said, I made it all. I'm in charge. I sustain it. Science is still trying to catch up with God. They're never going to quite get there, but that's okay. We love it. It's amazing. It helps us. But God is God. Give thanks to him, bless his name, and then verse 5. This God is good. The Lord is good. So we run into three amazing characteristics of God in verse 5. He's, he's good, he's loving, and his steadfast love and faithfulness are to all generations. None of what we bring or read out of the word of God changes anything about God's plan. Do you understand that? And now I want to go and kind of tie this together and work with me on this one. Kind of got here, right? Five verses, five points, seven imperatives, a God of love, a God who's good, a God who's faithful. So back to the two questions I had, if we can go to the next one. We've kind of been through those, so. And here I am, trying to get to my last point. I'll, I'll just do it. <laughs> Sorry about that. I've titled it, The Power of Gathering and Agreement in Prayer. That's why we're here. I already said we came to sing together, to worship, to praise the Lord. He wants that. He desires that. That's what we're going to do. I'm going to read now Matthew 18, 19. Again, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples. He's making the New Testament as we speak. Again, he did have to do that again and again and again to the disciples and apostles. Truly, I tell you, that if two of you on earth, two of you on earth, where are we? We're on earth. Whew, thanks for that response. I was going to get real crazy if one of you said, I have no idea where we are. That could be. About anything, 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 big word. They ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. The Son glorifies the Father. The Holy Spirit glorifies the Son. They are just one eternal entity living in the eternal present. God has seen the end from the beginning. We have not. But he gives us clues. He gives us psalms like this that were forward-looking thousands of years before whenever that last soul 
that he has chosen as the shepherd of his sheep is found. Then according to the prophets and Revelation and other New Testament writings, there is going to be a shout from heaven. There is going to be joyful singing. The king is going to return to claim his rightful, rightful place. It's not that he just went and left us on our own. Only he knows how to put together whatever is going on in any of our lives and work it for good. Why should we pray if he already knows? Good question. Why should we pray? It's not going to change his plan that I can tell from Scripture. But he, he tells us you, should, you need to pray. What did Jesus do? He was Jesus. Fully man. Fully God. Whenever there was a big or stressful moment in his life, what did he do? He went off alone to be with his father. He went to pray. If you're struggling, if some of those thoughts you were having are kind of depressing, or they're kind of negative, or you've been hurting for a long time, or you're grieving, or you're lonely, or you're joyful, or you're excited, he already knows. Because it says, the Lord Jesus, who is our shepherd, who we come singing and praising to Da, giving thanks, we don't have to do the sacrifices anymore that were in the Bible. He was our sacrifice. What is our sacrifice? Ours is coming together to praise him, to thank him, to worship him, but also to plead with him sometimes. Your heart today may need the same kind of thing in your own words, your own way. Lord, find me. Find me. I'm hurting. Find me. Find someone. That's why we meet together as a group. That's why we have fellowships. If you're lonely, church, we have to reach out to each other. But let's find each other. Let's, let's hold each other up. Because what, what did Jesus say? If two of you, two of you. Doesn't have to be a giant prayer meeting, although I love giant prayer meetings. But he says, pray, come together, seek me out. Now this may be a little new to you. You've heard of the upper room, right? Well, in the upper room in those times was an upper area where they would eat, relax, do different things because of the heat. Our upper room today can be any private place where believers gather. Any place, your home, this church, other churches. For the express purpose of worshiping, receiving Christ's manifest presence, not just his head knowledge presence, God in all his glory, God in all his power, he can be found. And he will come as we open our hearts to him. So for the express purpose of worshiping, receiving Christ's manifest presence, ministering in his presence, which we're trying to do today, and carrying his presence into our daily lives. Because he tells us to serve, to go, to share. I'm just somebody who's nobody, who met somebody 
that I want to tell, talk about. That's kind of the gospel. We can get real flowery and fancy on it. Now, this is a concept you may or may not deal with. It came out of a, a group uh, that is ministering in some of the hardest, most oppressive tribes and countries in the world. It's called the World College of Prayer. They are actually teaching pastors in places like North Korea, in Cuba, Afghanistan, all the stands. And they call it binding and loosing through prayer. The, the scriptures talk about it. Now, I'm not going to get overly charismatic with you for those of you who it can, but God says, whatever you bind, right? Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Spiritual apathy, bind it. What's the loosening? Spiritual hunger. Fear, courage. Darkness, light. Anger, compassion. Ignorance, knowledge. Hate, love. Sickness, health. This one, bad dreams, good dreams. I'm not going to go into there, but guess what? God's using dreams right now in the Muslim world. Jesus himself is coming in dreams and leading radical Muslims to faith in him. So I'm not going to discount those dreams. I'm not going to put a damper on the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer commented, the tempted, the anxious, the fearful, the discouraged may all find new hope and good Loving the world begins with thinking that God doesn't know what's best for you sometimes and is trying to cheat you out of something. You deserve pride of life, lust of the flesh. That thought blossoms into a willingness to disregard God's promises and warnings altogether and take whatever Satan has to offer. We do have an enemy. Prayer isn't passive resignation. It's joining him in prayer. It's, trying to it's not trying to change God's will, but doing everything we can to see it come to pass. If you're saved, spirit-filled, sanctified, submissive, harder one, willing to suffer, according to scripture, and giving thanks, do you know what God's will is? Do you know what it is? I'm not gonna try to oversimplify it, but it can be whatever he lays on your heart to do. Now, if you haven't met that first criteria, saved, born again, reborn in the spirit, I can't guarantee you that those promises and those blessings, some we just get. The Bible teaches us the whole world gets some general blessings from him. Jesus even said the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous. Be kind of hard to be like that guy that used to be in one of the comic strips that walked around with a black cloud over his head just raining on him all the time. It's like, where are the Christians? Oh, they're the ones getting rain. Okay. So an understanding of God, picturing the ritual procession through shouting, praising, and now we are able to enter his presence, his holy place together. Todah. And for these truths, we give thanks and praise. But that's his will, be saved. That's his will, let his spirit work through you. 
That's his will. Be set apart. That's his will. Submit to his word. Submit to his teachings. Be obedient. And sometimes we have to be willing to suffer. But like Job and the writer of Ecclesiastes, in the end, there is no greater God. There is no greater good. There is no greater shepherd than Jesus Christ and God the Father who cares for us and wants to bless us. And we can respond then with adoration and praise.